This message entitled, The Unanswerable Question, was delivered to Christ Our Rock Bible Church on February 11th, 2024, by the Reverend Roy D. Warren, Jr. The scripture reference is Matthew 9, 1-8. And he entered into his ship, and passed over, and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying in a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said in unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Arise and walk? I mean, which is easier? But that we may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, in other words, turn directly to him, looked right in him, arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. When the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Hmm. The lack of experience can be costly, as is illustrated in the fellow who hit the links, so to speak. He went to the golf course. A lot of people would just call him a duffer. He certainly wasn't a pro. He was out just knocking the ball around and, uh, and not doing a real great job at that. Uh, and he kept hitting brand new balls, brand new balls into the lake and across the highway and the storm sewer and the woods and wherever they might get easily lost. And finally, a friend suggested to him, George, why don't you use an old ball on those difficult shots? And he said, an old ball? I don't have an old ball. He's well into his new balls, you see, and he keeps losing them. I told you before about my dad taking Cindy and me to the uh, to the golf course one time up in Michigan, and Cindy kept, she knocked two or three balls into the lake right in a row, <laughs> and finally my dad said, we'll just, we'll, we'll go from the other side. <laughs> we'll take it up over there. You don't have to get across the lake, and because uh, he was losing several balls. I don't know if he was into his new balls or still in his old ones, but anyway, I don't have an old ball, the guy said. Another story suggests a golf uh, professional hired by a large department store to give golf lessons. He was approached by two women. Uh, Do you wish to learn to play golf? He asked one of the women, and she said, oh no, uh, it's my friend here who would like to learn. Uh, You see, I learned yesterday. In other words, I don't need to hear any more about it. I already got it down pat. I already learned yesterday. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you saw anything on the news about it or actually saw the tournament itself, but the golf tournament at Pebble Beach last weekend was, was, uh, there were some real highlights. (laughs) One in particular, one in particular was a... uh, uh, a fellow, I don't know who it was, but he hit his ball uh, into the rough, 
He wasn't all that far away from the green, so, but it was in the rough. And generally they can get out of that and get over to the pin and, you know, and, and get it going. But he hit it into an animal burrow, all right? And that's what they figured it was. Oh, they studied it. They went over there and they're looking at it and they've got the camera right in there and, and the ball's down in, not all the way down, you know, if it really is an animal burrow and it's got like a tunnel and stuff, it didn't go that far, but it's in, it's in a tuft of grass, but below the surface, okay? <laughs> he studied it and looked at it and studied it again. The golfer did, that is. And he just kind of sat, he just, I was going to say sat over it. No, he didn't sit over it. He's, he stood over it and he took a shot at it. And he not only got that ball out of that hole, but got it onto the green and got it about two feet away from the pin, from the flag. They were amazed. I mean, that was like, that was considered basically the shot of the day. You know, who, who would, because you wouldn't normally get it out of that hole as deep as it was. It was deep. It was like down here, how he got that. And it wasn't a great big hole either. It was only about this big with grass all over the place on it, but they figured it was an animal hole. I don't know what animal, but anyway. Um, and yet at the same time, there were several rather short, two, three, four feet long putts missed. Now, these are pros. These are not duffers. These are not guys that just go on the golf course every couple of months or something. They're out there like every day. And they're pros, and you'd think they'd get every putt. You would think they would. On the other hand, we, standing back from the whole thing or seeing it on the news or whatever, we don't know the actual lay of the land, okay? They have, they, they, they're right there. They're on the green, and they get down almost on their knees, or they stoop down, and they line it up, and there are, there's an actual line on the ball that they set it up so that it will go ahead and they'll be able to see where it's going to go by the way it rolls, okay? And I was, but I'm still amazed at how they can miss the short putts. But the problem is we're not seeing the little, the little humps and the little dips that are next to the hole or before the hole. We're not seeing that. So a ball can come along and it can get, shot back out again and it'll go away. In fact, I saw, uh, I've seen numerous times, and actually Tiger Woods did it at least once, uh, where the ball hit the rim of the cup and went around in a circle and went off in a different direction. That guy was frosted. Man, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't too happy about that, you know. There, was, there goes his butt. And it, it, it amazes, I suppose, people, I don't play golf. I've been out a couple times, but a real duffer, okay? Anyway, I'm certainly not good at it, but I, but I understand that, you know, the ground can look perfectly flat, but when they're playing on this thing, you can see it. Sometimes they have to send the ball way off to the side to get it to curve back and, and end up in the hole, and a lot of times they get it right in the hole, and yet there's, there's two or three foot putts that they were missing left and right, and... Uh, Surprise me, I guess, uh, but especially since these are the pros, these are not duffers. These are people you would think would get practically every putt, but guess what? 
It doesn't go that way. It doesn't happen that way. I mean, they're supposed to be the experts, okay? They're supposed to have years and years of experience, right? Like we talked about earlier, you know, the uh, throw, you know, hitting the ball off into the lake and all that kind of stuff. You would think they, you know, you'd kind of stop doing that after a while. Or what about the one woman that thought she knew it all because she had learned the day before? Oh, I don't need to learn. She maybe wants to learn it, but I don't need to learn. I already got it down pat. Well, uh, years and years of experience. I mean, there's not only the slight slopes in the green. And by the way, did you know they changed that from tournament to tournament? They, they actually do redo some of the greens so you're not playing the same hole. You know, and they know that. It's not like it's like a trick or something. Or, or then, like, it was really wet that particular day. And so they were constantly dealing with wet grass. And that made for some problems, too. Now, in this story here in Matthew chapter 9, we run into a, uh, a group of religious pros who actually don't care much for Jesus. Now, this is towards the beginning of his ministry, but it's not going to be too many more chapters down the road when they're making it loud and clear they're out to kill him. They want him dead and gone. All right? Now, these guys are supposed to be experts in the word of God. They're supposed to be experts in what God wants and how God wants to affect people, etc., Okay, I mean, they say they are. You know, they're, they're, they're the woman who says, I already know everything. You know, she maybe wants to take a lesson or two, but I already learned yesterday. <laughs> they're the ones that, you know, they've got all the experience in the world, but still miss the putts. They say they are, okay, experts in the word of God, but clearly they aren't. I mean, just look at the first few verses. Let's, let's look at this. Chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, first few verses. He entered into a ship and passed over, all right, passed over and came into his own city. Now, what is that? Well, it's, it's not Bethlehem and it's not Jerusalem, okay? It's a place called Capernaum. This is their headquarters. <laughs> Funniest thing, yesterday, I was looking this all over and going over it as I always do beforehand, so it's not brand new to me, you know, since Monday. <laughs> uh, and so I was going over it. Do you think I could have thought of that word yesterday? I sat there for, I don't know, it seemed like forever, and I was just, what were, headquarters. It was his headquarters. How many commentaries have I read that says Capernaum was their headquarters, okay? It's where Peter had lived. It's where his family lives. They used to come, and they would stay with them, and they would visit. In fact, that's where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, okay? And um, it was a headquarters. They would be out traveling. They would go do ministry. They would go up into Galilee or whatever. They'd come back down, and they'd go to Capernaum, all right? So this is the city. He came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. Okay? This man 
there's a sense of, of being ill, very ill. He's uh, in one sense or another paralyzed, not able to move like he wants to. Uh, he's lying on a bed, okay? And uh, in fact, another gospel says more, more definitely, more clearly, that he had uh, about four other friends who were helping him get to Jesus because the place was packed. There was, you know, I mean, it was, okay, it was about as packed as the Super Bowl. Only it was a small house, okay? But there's no place, nobody could move. It was like everybody, they got everybody that could possibly get in there, in there, Okay? I mean, I remember hearing on the news this past week, you know, it was early on in the week and they were selling uh, tickets for like $4,000, but you had to buy two. <laughs> They're only $4,000, but you have to buy two. And then after that, it gets more and more expensive. Thousands, 10,000, 15,000. I don't know how high it finally goes. And, and they're still giving away on the news, you know. Some guy, some, they give them another set of tickets. They must have some tickets set aside for this or something. But anyway, the, there's going to be a lot of people there. Going to be a lot of people packed in. Okay? Uh, it says here that, well, and there's another gospel that gives more detail. They couldn't get in. This guy, they had their sick friend with them. They had him on a stretcher, and they couldn't, no way. I mean, they can't even get a person in there, let alone to get a stretcher in there. How are we going to do that? So they climbed up on the roof, and they dug out the tiles, terracotta tiles or whatever, and the, and the straw and whatever they had up there. And they dug it away, and they lowered this down to be there. And it turns out it was pretty much right in front of Jesus, I guess. Uh, but they thought that would uh, that's the way to get this guy to Jesus. He's lying on a bed. That's all we're told right now. And then Jesus, seeing their faith, laid uh, or said unto the uh, sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, verse 3, certain of the scribes. And I, maybe I take a little bit of hope in this. It doesn't say all of the scribes. It says certain of the scribes. Maybe it was half of them. Maybe it was 90%. Maybe it was 10%. I don't know. But some of the scribes, they said within themselves. They didn't even, they didn't even blurt it out. They said it within. Remember, this was sort of early on in the ministry. Later on, they would have blurted all kinds of stuff out. Well, now, just in their minds, they're saying, this man blasphemeth. This man is reviling God. He's claiming to be able to forgive sins. And only God can forgive sins. Well, what does that tell you? If Jesus forgives his sins and only God can forgive sin, who is Jesus? God. Could it be any clearer? And that happens repeatedly throughout his ministry. You know, what about the time the guy came up to him and said, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He says, well, first of all, he says, well, why do you call me good? Jesus said, only God is good. Truly good. 
So what is that saying about Jesus? He's God. Amen? The guy called him good teacher. <laughs> it happened more than once. Okay? Praise God. This man blasphemeth. He reviles God. Okay? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, see, because why? Because he's God. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're thinking. And then he says, he asks them, he says, wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Now he's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the experts. He's talking to the people who are experienced. You know, at one point, a guy missed the, missed the putt that he really wanted to make. And, and it, it went off in a, he just didn't come even hardly close. It like, you know, veered off or whatever. They had the camera on him and he went back into the, into the uh, uh, staging area, so to speak, or back into the, where the tables are and things like that. And man, that guy's kicking stuff. He's just, he's just you know, kneeing stuff and kicking stuff. And he was mad. He was mad. I don't even remember Tiger Woods getting that upset. That time he went, you know. Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts. And these guys hadn't even expressed anything. They hadn't even said anything. But Jesus says, how come you're thinking evil thoughts? How come your mind's going 100 miles an hour evil? Evilly. How, how come? And they were probably pretty shocked that he could say that or that he would even know that they were thinking things against him. And then Jesus says, well, hold off just a second. We'll come back to it. I mentioned already that uh, another gospel makes it clear that it's so crowded that he was lowered down through the roof. But Jesus says to them, he says, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. He said unto the sick of the palsy, seeing their faith, their, plural. It's not just the guy himself. It's the other people that are carrying him in. In other words, Jesus is seeing that they all had faith. In fact, the guy on the pallet or on the stretcher, listen, if he didn't have some faith about going to see Jesus that day, he would have said, just leave me alone. I'm getting tired of getting hauled around or expected to be this or that or do something else. I'm not well. Just leave me alone. Let me lay here. All right? They all had faith, evidently. And the four that lowered him in, the guy that was on the, the, uh, on the pallet itself or on the stretcher, uh, they knew that Jesus was the answer. They knew that Jesus was the answer. They had prayed effectively. E.W. Tozer, he put it this way. We hope. Ah, there it is. To pray effectively, this is Tozer now. To pray, this is what we put in the paper this past week. To pray effectively, it is required of us that there be no 
unblessed areas in our lives. No parts of the mind or soul that are not inhabited by the spirit. No impure desires allowed to live within us. No disparity between our prayer and our conduct. He goes on to say, he says, I have heard God's children pray and I have prayed myself many prayers that never should have been prayed. Thankfully, this is a powerful thought. Think about this. Thankfully, the Lord edits our prayers and makes them acceptable. Because you can say, well, gosh, I don't know what to pray. Just pray. Just seek the Lord. And if God wants to change it, God wants to edit it, God wants to clear a phrase out and put another phrase, he'll do it. God can do anything. Amen? Because he is God. All right? Thankfully, the Lord edits our prayers and makes them acceptable. All things being equal, our prayers are only as powerful as our lives. In the long pull, I think we normally we would say in the long run, but this is his phrase. He says, in the long pull, we pray only as far or as well as we live. We pray only as well as we live. You see, the, the life is the prayer, and the prayer is the life. Praise God. I mean, that's the idea. The others were not so in tuned with God. They were thinking evil right away of this Jesus who had forgiven sin. Jesus was blaspheming as their response to the whole thing. They claimed that his claim to forgive, to be able to forgive sin was blasphemy. Imagine, Jesus was being accused of reviling God when in fact he is God. Well, it does happen when you think you have your act completely together and that nobody can tell you anything. You know, like the woman who learned golf yesterday, she doesn't need to hear anything now. No, all of life is getting closer and closer to the Lord. All of life, every day, every day. Jesus turns the whole thing around. Uh, and they, the scribes, the religious leaders, the ones who are supposed to be the experts, they've the one, they're the ones that are supposed to have the experience. They're the ones with the evil hearts. Look at the next couple of verses, five and six. Watch this. this so Jesus had said, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? And then verse five and six. For whether is easier, this is his question to them now. For whether is easier, to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk. Is one thing harder to say than the other, is what Jesus is saying? Aren't they, I mean, they don't take much effort either one to say, okay, to actually say the words. But that ye may know that the Son of Man does have power, does have dunamis, 
miracle power on earth to forgive sins. And then in black letters it says, because it's a commentary, then saith he to the sick of the palsy. In other words, now he turns to the guy who's laying on the pallet and says, arise. Okay? Arise. Doesn't say anything about his sins. In fact, back in verse 2, he made it clear his sins were already forgiven because of his faith. He was involved in that, in that faith episode of coming to Jesus in the first place. And the, Jesus had said to him, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sons be forgiven thee. Okay? So now he just says, you know, because he had said now, which is harder to say. Neither one is harder to say. So he says to him, Arise and take up thy bed and go into thine house. And this, by the way, I think is the first time the religious leaders, as I look at back at the things we've been looking at before this, this is the first time they tried attacking Jesus in Galilee. First time. And their thought is that he is assuming that he can do the work of God, that he can forgive sin. Well, that's because he is God. I mean, let's be honest about the thing. This is who he is. See, that's what I'm saying. The Bible makes very clear who Jesus is. And we need to really grab a hold of that before we get to Easter. Or we're not going to be going in with the right understanding or the right attitude. Their thought is that he's assuming that he can do the work of God. So Jesus asks them, which is easier? To say one thing or to say the other? To forgive sins or to heal the human body? The fact is, it's just as easy to say either set of words. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not harder to say one or the other. Right? It's easy to say the actual words of each statement. So really, it's an unanswerable question. Which is easier? Because neither one is easier. All right? If, now listen carefully, because this is the crux of the matter. If one said, if somebody said either one, okay, and then accompanied it, accompanied it by doing it, it would require divine power. Say, for example, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you, and thereby does it. He would have to be divine. And he is. Okay? Also, let's not leave this out. If Jesus says, I'm going to heal your body, and he does, then that action is accompanied by divine power. Amen? That's what I'm saying. Neither one is harder to say. They both require, and doing it, that is, and doing it, they both require divine power. You would have to be God, which he is. All right? Now, if he were an imposter, of course, which is what they're trying to suggest, uh, in seeking to avoid detection, he would probably opt out for the uh, easier thing to say, 
But remember now, neither one is easier. Because he's able to say both and do it. Amen? Why? Because of divine power. Because he is God. You see? But you can't really see forgiving of sins. I mean, it's not like, here, throw the sin away. So you watch him literally have a handful of sin and throw it away. Then you could see that. But you don't see it. Okay? However, if somebody is healed and the guy who had not been able to move gets off his pallet, gets off his stretcher, and picks up his bed and walks, now you've seen it. Okay? Jesus, however, is not being a fake like they are suggesting that he is. He's, he's not a fraud. Okay? He proceeded to heal the illness in order that the people would know that he had the authority to deal with its cause. And the cause of the illness was sin. And he has the authority to deal with sin. Because he, de he dealt with the sickness. He dealt with the healing. He dealt with the, the uh, the palsy. He dealt with it. Do you see what I'm saying? It was, I believe it was a foreshadowing of what happens at the cross. It's a foreshadowing of what happens at the atonement. I don't know if this is original to my own brain or whether I heard this somewhere or read this somewhere or what. But when I see the word atonement, I see the word at-one-ment. At-one-ment. In other words, to be at one with God. That's what the atonement accomplishes because he paid for your sin and he paid for mine. So I say it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus is about to do. Okay? He had to be God. Either way, whether he heals the guy and doesn't forgive his sin or whether he forgives his sin and doesn't heal, of course, they'd never be able to see that because, you know, they got to see the healing. So he says, get up and walk. He gets up, which he couldn't do before, picks up his bed and takes it home. This guy knows what he's talking about is basically the response to this. He has to be God, and he is. It's, it, it empowered the man to be obedient because he had said, pick up your bed and walk. That forgiving of the sin that caused that illness in the first place empowered him to be rid of that sin and, and, and be rid of that illness and actually move now. <laughs> Get up, pick up the bed, and take it home. All right, look at verses seven and eight. And he arose and departed to his house. <laughs> there you go. There's the fulfillment of the story. He picked up his bed, okay, he got up and departed to his house. Now watch this though, verse eight, look at this. And when the multitude saw it, now the people are watching. You better believe the people are watching. 
glorified God. They marveled and they glorified God. Which, referring to God, had given such power unto men. Now, I want to suggest something to you. And I think this is very, very true. In verse 6 it said, But when but that ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, that's when he said, arise and take up your bed. Because the two are vitally connected. So if he says, take up your bed and get going, and the guy is healed, then he dealt with the sin. He dealt with the disease that was caused by the sin. Okay? Now watch. Has power on earth to forgive sins. Who does? Well, it says right there that ye may know that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, okay, has power, dunamis, on earth, miracle power, that's what it's talking about, to forgive sins. He, he told him, he says, <laughs> you know, we'd like to hear him to speak more clearly sometimes because don't they get it? I mean, if, maybe if he spoke more clearly, maybe if he said that you may know that I have the miracle power on earth to forgive sins. And of course, they're standing by and go, well, only God can do that. And he says, yeah, so I'm God. See, you can make it real, real clear. Anyway, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. But watch this. At the end of the story, it says that they marveled and they glorified God, which had given such power, same word, which had given such power unto not the Son of Man. Doesn't say that. It says unto men. Unto men. All right? And what's it saying then? Well, you ever have a situation where you felt you uh, were in a position and God was making it clear to you that you needed to forgive somebody? Power unto men, unto the followers of God, unto the followers of, of the Christ. He had given power unto men, first of all, to recognize that the power had been given to the Son of Man. But because the power has been given to the Son of Man, that power is given to us to turn right around and forgive others. You see it? You see what I'm saying? It's connected. You see, it doesn't say, had given such power to the Son of Man. It doesn't say that. It says, unto men. And I think it's speaking that once we've got Jesus in our hearts, we're connected. We're connected. And there's power in that. God has also given us the power. Okay, to forgive and, well, quite frankly, <laughs> to heal. And I'm not talking about these faith healers who hit you on the forehead and go, be healed, you know, and you fall over and boom, you're healed. You know, 
a lot of that is not real, okay? A lot of that is fake. I'm not saying all of it. I know there, are, there is divine healing. There's no doubt about that. There is divine healing. Okay? Praise God. And he's given people not only the authority, but the knowledge and the ability to deal with things that would normally kill and turn the whole thing around and heal people. Do you see what I'm saying? You have that connection with Jesus. He's in you. He's living his life in and through you. Okay? And that's a good thing. And he's calling for us to see that. We're at one with him. That's what happens in the atonement. At one with him. Amen? Okay? Praise God to be forgiven and to be one with God. That's what the whole thing was all about. That's what, that's what you know, all of his preaching and teaching was all about. You know, get, seek God, get closer and closer to God, and he'll be, you'll be at one with him because he'll take away your sin and you won't have a desire to continue on in the sinning and you'll be at one with him. Atonement. I hope you see that. Watch out for the, I don't know, power that can come into us on the other hand and demand that we be, that we have certain experiences and that we experience and, and become an expert at this or that or something else. You already learned yesterday, so you don't have to go any deeper in it today. Watch out for that attitude. Okay? Misses the point. Okay? You see what I'm saying? I think it's important. I think it's crucial. God loves you. And he wants that love to be displayed through your life and in your relationships with other people. That you'll be at one with God. And then when you come to share with other people and know other people, they'll see that at oneness with God. And hopefully, many of them, I mean, hopefully, all of them. I don't know if it'll be all of them, but... Hopefully, a lot of them, if not all of them, will want that. Amen? That's why we're here. That's why we still give them Jesus. Okay? Amen? All right? <laughs>